All right, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. If you aren't a little freaked out right now, then I don't think you were listening. Because there's some crazy stuff that just happened in that passage. Uh, If you're keeping track, things are getting weirder. In Revelation chapter 8 and 9, we are working our way through this book. We saw last week that the future is dark. The future is dark. Uh, Contrary to what many will often have us believe, that our future is getting brighter and brighter as we learn more and advance more, Revelation in Scripture says that this world is getting bad. It is ugly when we look at the future. It's not bright. It's dark. We saw last week that the wrath of God begins to be poured out upon mankind. In this in this scene that talks specifically about the tribulation, the time at the end of the world in which God's wrath is being poured out to drive mankind to repentance, we see that wrath initiated in what we covered last week in Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 7. We saw suffering initiated upon man. We saw a conqueror, seemingly the Antichrist. We saw war and famine and death of 25% of humanity. We saw that God hears the cries of his martyrs. And while mankind is suffering, they are resting. And God is bent on avenging their lives. We saw an earthquake and cosmic chaos. Yeah, in the midst of all of that, while suffering is being initiated upon man in the beginning of this seven-year time period known as the tribulation, we also saw that salvation is intended for man. In Revelation chapter 7, we see 144,000 Jews who are sealed, who are marked, who are, who are set aside, who God is going to save. We also saw a multitude in heaven of, of, of believers from every tribe, tongue, and nation from all over the world who had been killed... For their testimony of faith. And while they had been killed on earth. They are in heaven rejoicing and enjoying God forever. So we saw suffering initiated upon man. Salvation intended for man. But as we continue through the book of Revelation. We saw things get really bad last week. A quarter of the world's population wiped out. But what we're going to see tonight is that it doesn't start getting better. In fact, what we're going to title this tonight is From Bad to Worse. That's the progression that we're going to see in this text tonight. From bad to worse. What we have seen thus far is the seven seals of Revelation chapter 6. Tonight, we're going to see a further progression into seven trumpets. Seven trumpets that are are blown from heaven that continue to announce God's judgment upon man. But how this is laid out is we're going to see it not just continue to be bad. We're going to see it get progressively worse. The further we travel, travel into the tribulation, the more of God's wrath that is poured out upon humanity. Now, we saw last week six of the seven seals. 
When we come to Revelation chapter 8, we see that it begins with the seventh seal. But if you were paying attention when we read that text, the seventh seal is kind of weird. When the seventh seal is announced, all that we see is silence. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, chapter 8, verse 1, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. The seventh seal is unlike all of the other seals that we saw last week. The seventh seal that needs to be broken in the book of God's judgment upon mankind actually is the seven trumpets. Now, I want to illustrate this for you just briefly because I think it helps us understand the layout of Revelation as a whole. We saw last week the first seven seals. We saw one, two, three, four, five, six. And in chapter eight, we come to the seventh seal. Well, as we zoom in on that seventh seal, what we find out is that seventh seal actually contains the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets are a further worsening pouring out of God's wrath upon mankind. The seven trumpets that we're going to see tonight are contained within that seventh seal. Well, as we keep reading through the book of Revelation, eventually it's going to get from worse to worser. And when it gets worser, we're going to see seven bowls of God's wrath that are poured out upon mankind. And it's going to work exactly the same way. As we zoom in on the seventh trumpet, contained within it are the seven bowls. So we understand the layout of this to be a chronological layout. We have the first seven seals. And when we get to that seventh seal, now it's time for the seven trumpets, which are progressively worse, pouring out of God's wrath. And the seven trumpets, those happen. And then we get to the seven bowls. And those are poured out. And that signifies what is the end of the tribulation period. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, but just so we're all on the same page. The tribulation that we're talking about is a seven-year period of God's wrath upon unbelievers that culminates with the second coming of Christ. That is what the tribulation is. It's a seven-year period, we know that from Daniel chapter 9, that is God's wrath being poured out on unbelievers, and it culminates, it's finished when Jesus returns in his second coming. The purpose of the tribulation, if you took notes last week, this is all there. The purpose of the tribulation is that it's meant to punish mankind for his rebellion and to drive mankind to repentance, especially the Jewish people. The Jewish people in the book of Revelation have a unique and special role. The tribulation is specifically designed that the Jewish people, and we saw this last week with the 144,000 who are sealed, that they would be driven to pronounce Christ as Lord. That will happen. The tribulation, one of its primary functions is to accomplish that goal. That the children of God, the Israelites, would see Jesus and declare him as Lord. However, we know that the purpose of the tribulation goes far beyond just that, though that is the emphasis. It is that all mankind would be driven to repentance. We're going to see that in our text tonight. That the expectation is that as God's wrath is poured out, that we would be driven to repent. We saw in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 that all of the churches are being told this information so that they would repent. And for those who have repented, that they would remain faithful. Well, tonight, as we continue to see God's wrath being poured out upon humanity at the end of the world as we know it, we're going to see things go from bad to worse. And we're going to break it down this way. 
Suffering is increased upon mankind in seven progressive events. Seven progressive events. Suffering is increased upon mankind in seven progressive events. We're going to jump into this passage as we see God's wrath being poured out upon humanity. It goes from bad to worse. You can just look at the broad scope of this right now. Stuff gets crazy in Revelation chapter 8. Like some really weird stuff starts to happen. All for the purpose of driving mankind to repentance. I want us to be aware. You can even in the context of seeing all of those. It may be helpful. These get progressively worse. This is a progression. Suffering is increased upon mankind in seven progressive events. We're going to see these first four. Numbers one, two, three, and four are is the wrath of God, but it's specifically poured out onto the earth, onto the vegetation, into the sea, into drinking water, into to the, the natural light that we have. When we get to number five, six, and seven, those are going to be called the seven woes. When you heard Jackson reading and he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a weird term in the New Testament that refers specifically to something intense that's about to happen. Woe, woe, woe. There's three woes that are coming at the end, and things get especially intense from continually more worse at the end of these trumpets. So let's dive into them. We see the seventh seal is opened in verse 1, and there's seven angels in verse 2 who come out, and they have seven trumpets. Look at verse 3. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add to it the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up up before God out of the angel's hand. There's an angel in heaven, and he has this incense that he brings before God that goes up to God, and it contains the prayers of believers, the prayers of the saints. It's possible that it's the saints that are dead that are in heaven. It's possible that it's the prayers of the saints on earth. We see both of those in the book of Revelation. But all that we need to know here is that the prayers of believers are going to God. And when he hears their prayers, here's what happens. Verse 5, then the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire of the altar, threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. We're going to see earthquakes all through the book of Revelation. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, when he looks forward to this time, he says that it's a time that is defined by earthquakes. It's almost as it it happens in, in the seals, it happens in the trumpets, it happens in the bowls. It just happened in the sixth seal. Now there's an earthquake in the seventh seal. Earthquakes are happening all the time. It's almost as if these divinely caused earthquakes are saying judgment is coming. Not only is the earthquake itself judgment, but it's often accompanied with a significant event right after it. An earthquake happens, and then the first angel blows his trumpet. Verse 6, And then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. The first progressive event is that a third 
of earthly vegetation is destroyed. Check out what happens here. An angel blows his trumpet and there is a hailstorm and a firestorm upon the earth. And this hail and this fire somehow is mixed together with blood. And when this touches the earth, stuff starts catching on fire. Check this out. We're told that a third of the earth catches on fire. The first sounded and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and they were thrown to the earth and the third of the earth was burned up. When this trumpet is blown, stuff starts falling from heaven and a third of the ground is on fire. Imagine that. Imagine that. Like we get worried about forest fires. Imagine if there's a forest fire, but it's covering a third of the earth. We don't know how exactly this plays out. Perhaps it's, it's, it's a third of, perhaps a third of Overland Park will be burned up. Perhaps a third of the United States will be burned up. Perhaps all of the United States will be burned up as, as, as a third of the world. We don't know exactly how this falls or what happens. What we know is that it's chaos. Things start falling from heaven and a third of the earth is burning. Eventually the fires go out. When the fires are gone, what's left is no vegetation wherever there was burning. What we're drawn to focus on is that all of the trees are gone and all of the grass is gone. (laughs) Earthly vegetation is destroyed. You start thinking about the effects of that upon the world. The, the food shortage that that would cause. The effects upon wildlife that live upon vegetation. Entire ecosystems that are destroyed because a third of vegetation is gone from the earth. This is significant. This is a significant outpouring upon God's wrath that would cause chaos among humanity. Not just while stuff is burning, but after the fires are gone, what we're left with in many ways is desolation. But that is not the end of the pouring out of God's wrath. It's only the first of seven. Next, verse 8, the second angel sounded. And something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea had and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The second progressive event is a third of the sea becomes deadly. A third of the sea becomes deadly. I mean, check out what happens. There's a mountain that's thrown to the earth. And it's on fire. A flaming mountain chucked to the earth. And when this mountain hits the earth, you know what happens? All of the oceans, all of the seas, a third of them is blood. Obviously, that starts killing stuff. But this isn't just killing things that are alive. It's destroying ships. A third of the ocean life is dead and any ships that are in the water where it's blood, they get destroyed. This is destructive blood water. I don't even know how this works, but everything that touches it dies. Even the stuff that's in it just breaks. It's destructive 
and it's causing chaos. Again, imagine a third of the vegetation is gone and now a significant form of, of transportation is gone. This is going to have economic impacts. This is, this is another, all of the sea life that, that, that we consume is impacted by this. This is additional food shortage. It's going to lead to chaos. But it continues to get worse. A third of the vegetation is destroyed. A third of the sea becomes deadly. The third progressive event is that a third of the water becomes deadly third of the water, and what's emphasized here is drinking water, becomes deadly. Look at verse 10. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers, and on the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many died from the waters, because they were made bitter. Okay? Third trumpet gets blown. Another thing starts falling from the sky. This time, it's like a star. It's like a burning star. It's a star that's on fire, which seems obvious, right? But as John is seeing, this, this is just what he describes it as. There's this star, but it's a burning star, and it's falling, and somehow it falls on a third of the rivers. Perhaps it, it breaks up as it's falling to the earth. We don't know. He knows the name of this star, though. This star is called Wormwood, and when it falls, all of the water become wormwood that is that they become bitter they become poisonous it falls on a third of the rivers and a third of the springs this is a reference to water that we drink we're in a different category than the sea life that we saw before now we're in the freshwater category and what happens is a third of our drinking water becomes poisonous You, you can't drink safely. A third of the water becomes wormwood. It becomes bitter. Look at verse 11. Many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. We don't know if it's obvious whether or not the water is bitter, whether or not it will kill you. You would imagine that at this point, people become terrified to, to even hydrate themselves. That water, which is necessary for our life, becomes a scary thing. What we know is that many die. It's not insignificant. A third of the waters become bitter from this plague, and many people die. A third of the vegetation is gone. A third of the sea life is destroyed. A third of the water is undrinkable. If you drink it, you die. But it keeps going. Number four. Number four is revealed in verse 12. The fourth angel sounded. And a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck. So that a third of them would not be. So that a third of them would be darkened. And the day would not shine for a third of it. And the night in the same way. A third of all heavenly lights. Are struck. A third of natural light is removed. That is the seventh progressive event. When the fourth angel sounds its trumpet, a third of the heavenly bodies that give us light are darkened. Now, that may immediately sound like what would happen is our day would be a third less light and the night would be a third less light. But how this actually plays out is that the day doesn't shine for one third of the day. 
It's not like the whole day is one-third less bright. It's that there's a third of the day where it's darkness. Imagine. The heavenly bodies are blackened out for a third of the day. Now, in our context, we may hear that and think, thank God for light bulbs. Right? We'll be good. No. No, remember what's happened to the world. A massive earth-wide earthquake has shattered the earth. A third of the world has been burned up. A third of the sea, no one can touch it. A third of the water is killing people. I think it's reasonable to think that earth as we know it is already completely different. This is painful for mankind. That a third of their light, a third of the time with which we get stuff done, is now taken away from them. A third of the heavenly bodies are struck out, and darkness is that fourth plague. That brings us then to the woes. Those are the four trumpets that find their repercussions upon earth and man by implication is hurt. But in the next three trumpets that are blown, God's wrath is poured out not upon earth itself, but directly upon humans. Verse 13, Then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell upon the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. He says, If you're still alive on earth, Watch out. Woe to you, because what is coming is far worse than anything you've seen yet. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit. Smoke goes up from the pit, and out of the smoke, verse 3, came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them as scorpions of the earth have power. So there is an angel who has a key to an abyss, to a pit, and there's seemingly a door over this pit that only there is one key for, and God gives this key to one angel. This angel opens the pit, and smoke starts billowing up into the sky out of this pit. There's so much smoke that the sun is blackened out. Out of the smoke come locusts. Now, locusts have been used several times in Scripture as judgment upon humanity. We see, we see locusts as a plague given to the Egyptians in the book of Exodus. That God pours out his wrath because locusts come and they just destroy the vegetation. But what we see in this text is far, far worse than anything we've ever seen before in history. Because these locusts, we're told, are given power. They are given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. What kind of power does a scorpion have? The power that a scorpion has is the power to deliver pain. A scorpion has the ability to sting you and to cause you pain. That kind of power is the power that's given to these locusts. But these locusts are no earthly locusts. 
The fifth progressive event is that all unbelievers are tormented by demonic locusts. These are locusts, not of this earth. These are demonic forces that appear as locusts that are intended to inflict pain to all unbelievers. Their job in life is to cause men and women that don't believe in God to suffer. If you are not a follower of Christ and you are alive at this time, there is an uncountable number of demonic locusts whose goal is to make you suffer. These locusts have restrictions. Look at verse 4. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree. They're not like any other locusts we've ever seen. They go after the green stuff. These aren't allowed to touch the green stuff. But only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, those who have not been sealed by God, those are the ones that these locusts attack. Look at verse 5. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but only to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. These creatures, these demonic creatures, are given the power to sting someone like a scorpion stings someone. But the pain lasts for five months. The pain won't go away. And seemingly, the pain is like a scorpion, but it's much, much worse. So bad that all men want to do who have been stung is kill themselves. But guess what? God won't let them kill themselves. Verse 6. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. These locusts are intended to make mankind suffer. Suffer so bad that all men and women will want to do is kill themselves. But God won't let them. God won't let them escape the wrath of his judgment. We're shown the demonic nature of these locusts as we continue reading. The appearance of them was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads they had crowns like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. Picture what John is painting. They're locusts, but they're like horses and they have the face of a man. And verse 8, they have the hair of a woman and they have the teeth of a lion. Verse 9, they're wearing armor. They have breastplates of iron and their sound is like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails, verse 10, like scorpions. They sting and in their tails is the power to hurt for five months. They have a ruler. They have a leader that they follow. They have his king over them. Verse 11, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. Those are the Greek and Hebrew words for the destroyer. There is an angel that has power that leads these locusts. He is the destroyer. This is a dismal picture that is painted. I mean, I I have it in me to read this and think, that is so cool. This 
It's not meant to be cool. It's meant to terrify. It's meant to say the last place anyone would ever want to be is on the earth at this time and be an enemy of God. Locusts going throughout the earth, attacking anyone who is not a child of God so that they would suffer and that their suffering would last for five months. Unbelievers are tormented by demonic locusts, but that's only the fifth of seven trumpets. The sixth is revealed starting in verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So we're back at the altar in heaven. From the altar there comes a voice. We don't know what that voice is. I have no idea. We're not told. I don't think it matters. What matters is that there's a voice that calls out to an angel. and The, the, the angel with the sixth trumpet. And it says release the four other angels. That are at the great river Euphrates. There are four specific angels. Look at verse 15. They've been prepared for this time. Four angels who have been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. So there are four angels who are released. They've been created. They've been prepared for one purpose at this point in time that they would be released to kill a third of humanity. That's their job. That's their job. Seemingly, these angels, again, are demonic forces. That term angel can be used of angels in heaven. It can also be used of demonic forces. Here it seems to refer to demonic forces again because look what happens. Four angels are released. And they manifest themselves in an army of horsemen. But it is no small army. The number, verse 16, of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. This trumpet is blown and 200 horsemen appear. These 200 horsemen are designed to kill a third of humanity. But look at how it works. This is how I saw them in the vision. The horses... And those who sat on them, the riders, they had breastplates, the color of fire. Talks about the color of of their breastplates, that their breastplates come in bright red. He continues to describe what he sees. They're riding horses, but they're not any normal horses. These horses have lion heads. The heads of the horses, verse 17, are like the heads of lions. Keep reading. Out... Of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. So there's an army of 200 million horses with the head of a lion being driven by by armored men or demons. And these horses breathe out fire and brimstone. And the fire and brimstone that comes out of their mouth, look at verse 18, is intended to kill a third of humanity. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues and by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded from their mouths. 200 million demonic warriors riding demonic beasts. 
are traveling around burning men alive until a third of humanity is wiped out. They're killing billions, presumably, of people. But they also have the power to hurt men like the locusts did, verse 19. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and their tails, for their tails are like serpents. They have heads. And with them they do harm. Sheer suffering. Terror. Pain. The wrath of God is being poured out. I mean, imagine. Imagine you've seen all of this. Wouldn't you repent? Wouldn't you imagine if you endured all of this that you would bow the knee to Jesus Christ? You may think that you would respond that way. But anyone who survives these plagues refuses to repent. Verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They did not repent of their murders nor their sorceries nor their immorality nor their thefts. They won't turn. No matter how clear it is that God is in control that he's sovereignly in charge and that there is no place worse to be than an enmity at him. These people's hearts have become hard. Their hearts have become hard. We talked about this last week, but I just keep coming back to this statement because it's so prevalent for you. Do you think that you can serve lusts and pleasures in your beginning and then go and serve God with ease at the very end? I dare say you are reckoning on a late repentance. You know not what you are doing. Repentance and faith are gifts of God and gifts that he often withholds when they have long been offered in vain. I grant you that true repentance is never too late, but I warn you. Late repentance is seldom true. It seems painfully obvious that these people would repent, but what J.C. Ryle writes in his book is is true of these men and it's true of us. That, that, That our hearts become hard And that we can't just turn as easily as we may think we can. Though the message is clear. These people know it's wrath from God. At the end of the seal, the sixth seal, you know what they said? Save us from Jesus Christ who is causing this pain. And yet they will not repent of their actions. There is nothing more terrifying than to be a recipient of the wrath of God. Nothing more terrifying. But if you are aware of the wrath that is coming, as described in the book of Revelation, 
you have every opportunity to run away from the wrath that is coming and to turn and to run to Jesus. And so I would have us know this as we close. Awareness of God's wrath is meant to drive us to a loving relationship with Jesus. We're told that these events are coming so that we would turn, so that we wouldn't be in the scenario of these who are being persecuted, who are suffering, who are under the wrath of God. So turn and run to Christ. Believe the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from the penalty of your sinfulness. That if you would believe that he is the son of God and repent of your sins, that you can not only avoid the wrath of God, but enjoy God forever. An awareness of these facts is meant to drive us to Christ. It's terrifying. It's scary. But there is no better news that you could possibly hear than that there is terrifying and scary events that are coming upon humanity. So run to Christ. Run to Christ.